Welcome to Truth Triumphant Radio. I'm your host, Cody Mori, and today I want to talk about something that has come up a number of times, and that is on the issue of perfection of Christian character. And without using sophistry, uh, what I mean by perfection of Christian character is sinlessness, which I find when I look up the word perfect in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, where he says, be perfect even as your Father in heaven, which is imperfect, which is perfect. When you look up the word in the Greek, it actually, guess what it means? It means perfect. That's what it means. So we have to figure out exactly what the goal is. And I have a few quotes here from Mrs. White and Scripture talking about this issue. And this issue is a, is a big issue, especially in, in the church today. Because we have uh, teachers, high, high-ranking Seventh-day Adventists, I call them rock stars. Uh, I'm not the first one to say that, but uh, that's, that's what I call them. That's what Pastor Bill has now taken from me as well. And one of those individuals who says it basically from the rooftops, which is ironic that it, this has kind of been somewhat of an issue uh, for Truth Triumphant recently is Walter Veith. Walter Veith teaches that perfect and complete uh, and sinlessness are, are, are separate things. So to be sinless, nobody can be sinless. But to be perfect is to be perfect in your position. Now that that is a position that is held by Ellen White in the book Education. However, when talking about the last days, specifically the last days, those who give the loud cry of the third angel, those who are, make up what we understand to be the 144,000, those still left alive on earth, those who stand on earth when Christ finishes his ministration in the sanctuary above. That's a different situation than what is being discussed. So there's, a, there's an issue here where Walter Veith essentially teaches that you do not have to be perfect. Or his, his definition of perfect is, is, is changed. And he gives lots of quotes. And it's a lot of scholarliness. You can watch them yourself if you want to watch the whole thing. Uh, and either vindicate him and go against me or or to see what I'm talking about and it's in what's up prof episodes 60 and 61 and he's also done a talk in Romania where he had a Q&A and he discussed this as well um, I have that video if you guys want that video I'll send it to you in an email so just shoot me an email for that other one from Romania but it's what's up prof episodes 60 and 61 and he, he says that you do not need to be perfect or that you will not be sinless in, at, at any point in history, never mind ne necessarily in the last days. Now, I want to make a few concessions here on Walter Veith's behalf. He makes it very clear in, in these episodes that he is not telling people to to just give up on trying not to sin 
he he says to, that you have a choice, that God gives you the choice, and that we are to overcome sin as much as possible in our own spheres, right? And again, he uses lots of quotes, spirit of prophecy, lots of scripture quotes, and he says he does so he doesn't he doesn't say that you can't sin but if you lay that principle it's a very dangerous principle it's insidious in the way it works because if if you allow that seed to be planted into your heart you will have that in the back of your mind that you will never be sinless and if you will never be sinless right think about this for a second if you will never be sinless then you're never going to try to be sinless. That's just how the carnal nature works. If there is no way to achieve perfection, if Christ is not our example, if he's an example that we cannot attain to, then we will store that in our hearts and our beliefs become our thoughts, become our actions. Now, what's so dangerous about that, folks, is if, what if, what if he's wrong, okay? What if God is expecting and warning and trying to create perfect Christian characters, that is sinlessness, in his followers, that they would reach the fullness of Christ in every aspect, a special work done that glory is given to God for, not because we do something, right? It's more, it's more, our work is more of submission. Our work is more of self-denial and willpower. But think about it. If somebody accepts that and it's wrong, then they cannot be, they cannot be ever in the camp of the 144,000. Some of those people, this is how dangerous this is and insidious it is. Some of those people, if he's wrong, some of those people could be lost for all of eternity because they believe in their heart of hearts that they can never be sinless. That God's arm is short for some reason. Now, I want to I want to quote to you a couple of passages here about the third angel's message because this is actually makes up the heart of the third angel's message what we're discussing here and then we will we will go to the clip of Walter Veith and what's up prof episode 61 but before then let's let's go to uh, third selected messages this is page 172 Mrs. White says the third angel's message is the proclamation of the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus Christ. The commandments of God have been proclaimed, but the faith of Jesus Christ has not been proclaimed by Seventh-day Adventists as of equal importance. The law and the gospel going hand in hand. I cannot find language to express this subject in its fullness. The faith of Jesus, it is talked of, but not understood. What constitutes the faith of Jesus that belongs to the third angel's message? Jesus becoming our sin bearer, that he might become our sin pardoning savior. He was treated as we deserve to be treated. He came to our world and took our sins that we might take his righteousness. 
and faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. Think about that. Let me read that last part again. That we might take his righteousness and faith in the ability of Christ to save us amply and fully and entirely is the faith of Jesus. So basically, this is a transformative faith that you have. And it's not a faith that you have where you say, okay, well, I'm never going to be sinless. It's a, it's a, I'm going to take hold of Christ's righteousness through faith. I believe it's, it's a, it's an earth shattering faith, folks. And it's a faith that we all need. It's a faith where I can say, I can be sinless. I can overcome. I can have is not just having his righteousness imputed to me, but having his righteousness literally given to me by faith, saying, Lord, I'm taking hold of your righteousness. It is not I whom, who is going to walk and live in this body, but I want you to walk and live and work through me. And it's a very powerful faith in God that can achieve this. And this is the heart and soul of the last message of warning to the world. This message will be the direct counterpart to the keeping of the commandments of God proclamation of the loud cry. It is literally the last warning to the world. And it is this. It is that we can become righteous, actually righteous, not just declared righteous, but truly righteous. It's all God's work, but it's through faith that overcomes the world, as 1 Peter chapter 5 says. Now, Mrs. White says in the Review and Herald, August 1st, 8, August 1st 1890, that the third angel's message, justification by faith, is the third angel's message. This is what she says. Several several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message, and I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity. When someone says in verity like that, that means in its fullness of truth. So justified by his faith. Righteousness by faith in God. Now, what is righteousness by faith? Is it is it merely a declaration? Is it now I know and this is something that Walter Vyth points out in his in his talks, uh, and that's how unsettled and unhappy people can get when they think that the the goal is perfection and they they just miss it so many times well folks that's why we're given this probationary time we're living in we're living in a special time in history the 144,000 is 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 called in revelation god's first fruits so it's a special work that gets done and i have a quote from mrs white that says exactly that that it is a special work that gets done in other words if you think about it folks this, this war between, between Satan and his principles and God and his principles is finally totally 
settled in their beliefs. The wicked will have the Spirit of God completely removed from them, and they will be entirely unrighteous in every respect. And those who have a desire to be righteous and who take hold of Christ's righteousness by faith, they will be given the desires of their heart. That's why the Apostle Paul says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Because it is a very, very serious thing. It's a thing that, that we should not be playing around with sin, and we definitely should not think and believe within our heart of hearts that we will never be sinless. Because if we do believe that, well, then the fight's already over. So I want to basically talk about what righteousness by faith is. But before I go there, I want to say I want to show you guys the clip here or have you listened to rather the clip here from Walter Weith and this is from 1 hour and 1 minute right around the 10 second mark and beyond. Listen. What's up, Prof? Episode 61. These are all very interesting points. So, Martin, I believe that salvation has had the same criteria for all time. And for me to say that I have to reach a level that is higher than that of Moses, because he had to die and didn't go through the time of trouble, in terms of being able to stand with a righteous character when he talked to God face to face. Yeah. And when they doubted his position, his brother and his sister, God said to them, were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And when that Shekinah glory departed. There was Miriam and she was leprous. Yeah. And Moses said, Heal her, Lord, please, please heal her. And God said, No, put her out of the camp for seven days. Let, the, let her think about herself mm. and then she can come back. So he healed her, but he, he permitted the consequences, yes. right? So are we going to say that we are in a better position or we have to reach a better position than Moses reached? Well, then you have to be consistent and say, well, we have to reach a better position than Enoch reached. Mm. And let's say the righteous that have died as martyrs get up out of the grave with that glorious, glorified body. Are they any worse off? Have I reached a higher state than them? I think that is verging on presumption. But uh, if people see it differently, let's not make a war about it. Well, there you have it, folks. He says it himself. Perfection, and that is sinlessness, and uh, what he's talking about there, and he's talking about the other argument that people say that you do need to be perfect, he says you don't. He says that we can't obtain to, to, a, to a state of sinlessness 
a position that was higher than Moses. Or a, I'm not sure where he's getting the Enoch thing from, but a position that was higher than Enoch, I guess, as well. Enoch was taken up. Elijah was taken up. As far as I'm concerned, they probably reached the goal. But but we'll we'll find out all of that after all this is all over. But what's scary about this is is that he he he's planting. He's doing it in a scholarly way. But he's planting seeds of doubt. Doubt in the power of God. And doubt that you can actually overcome. You see, what's going on in the last days. Now, I'm, I'm, I understand what he's saying as far as, as far as people have sinned throughout time. And made mistakes. You know, Luther made mistakes. He had mistakes in his theology. Mistakes in his, his beliefs and, and de definitely in his life. Moses, David, you know, all these people, they had they had problems, and God didn't throw them away that because they had problems. But when we are talking about living in the antitypical day of atonement, and you look at what was going on in Israel during the antitypical day of atonement, it's not the same thing. There's something special going on. There is something different about this time. Because those who are afflicting their souls and those who are going on careless and indifferent to the messages of warning are in two different camps. And the Day of Atonement says those who would not afflict their souls would be separated or cut off, which means spiritually lost, from the camp. They would be cut off from Israel. They would be removed, sent away, or killed. It's a very, very serious situation, and it is a very, it's a very special time that we're living in. Now, what is specifically, what is righteousness by faith? I have an example here in Romans, and the example is, I think, perfectly given there. Romans chapter 7, verses 14 through 18 he goes on a little further, but he asks, he sort of, he plants a question there. And then the question is answered right in the next chapter. Verse 18, it says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. And for what I would, that do I not. But what I hate, that do I. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now when it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So he talks about there, the Apostle Paul talks about there, the law of sin and death which dwells in our flesh. And how we cannot, in our own strength that is, we cannot keep the commandments of God. We have another law working in our lives. Now, he answers that question. That is, what is, which he doesn't say, state it in a question way, but he says, For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. So where would you find the ability to perform that which is good? 
Well, Romans chapter 8 answers the question, verses 1 through 4. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. In other words, because, because you ask for the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, you no longer walk after the flesh. Because the Spirit of Christ is dwelling in you, you have been made free from the law of sin and death. Not, not the penalty itself, but the law itself that works in your body and has you uh, commit sins. Your carnal nature, the law that works in his members as he discusses in Romans chapter 7. That law you are made free from by walking in the Spirit. Verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So if you put it all together, folks, righteousness by faith is looking by faith to Jesus Christ, ask, dying daily and asking for his spirit to come and help you submit to him on a daily basis and to overcome your sins, to actually overcome your sins, to actually be righteous, not simply declared righteous. And it's not your works that are being done when you do this. All you're doing is submitting to him and he's doing the works in you. That's why he says in verse 4 that the righteousness of the law, that is when you look at the law and you see the righteousness that is in there and you can't keep it in your own strength, it says that that might be fulfilled or brought to its fullness in us who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. In other words, he's saying you can keep the commandments of God, the righteousness of the law, and you don't have to walk after the flesh anymore. You can be free from the law of sin and death and be able to walk in the Spirit, through the Spirit, in the commandments of God. It is possible, in other words. That's what righteousness by faith is. Keeping God's commandments. So when it says there, here's the patience of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, it's it, what it's basically saying is two points of the same thing. These are those who keep the commandments of God. But you can't keep the commandments of God. No person can. Well, yes, they can, and they do keep the commandments of God. How? Faith in Jesus. That's how it's done. It's what is done and how it's done in the same, in the same sentence. Now, Mrs. White talks about this in Review and Herald, January 17th, 1907. She says, Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Will they be able to sin like Moses did right before he entered into the promised land? That doesn't sound like that's what that's saying to me. They will stand in the sight of a holy God 
without a mediator. There is no more mediation for sin. And if you look at the day of the actual day of atonement, when the priest was coming out, when he left the most holy place, that was it. The sins that didn't, the sins that were not placed into the sanctuary at that time, they that's it. They couldn't be placed there anymore. His work was over for the year. So it's the same thing with Christ. When he leaves the most holy place, this is a special thing that hasn't happened, right? This is a special thing that has never happened in the history of our earth, where there has not been a mediator in the sanctuary above. But it will happen when Christ leaves the most holy place to come rescue the bride of Christ, his people. And they will have to be ready for that moment. And you will have to believe in your heart of hearts that you can, through faith in Jesus Christ, overcome your sins. And you can. You have to allow the Lord to work in you. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, as the Apostle Paul says in Galatians. She goes on. She says, The robes must be spotless. Their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling. Is this Does this sound like a declaration? Or something that actually happens to you. It continues. Through the grace of God and their own diligent efforts. They must be conquerors in the battle with evil. I'm going to stop it there again folks. When someone is a conqueror of something. Are they still fighting? No. And what are we supposed to be conquerors with? The battle with evil. What's the battle with evil? Well, it's sin, of course. It's sin in our lives. She goes on, While the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, while the sins of penitent believers are being removed from the sanctuary, there is to be a special work of purification, of putting away sin among God's people on earth. Not something that's been happened for all time. A special work for a special time, folks. Another one is Christ's Object Lessons, page 68 and 69. She says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. This fruit can never perish, but will produce after its kind a harvest unto eternal life. When the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. Does that sound like something that has happened throughout all time, or does that sound like a special time? Obviously it's a special time, because when, when we start to take this doctrine seriously and stop playing with sin and stop believing in our heart of hearts that we will always have sin in our lives when we start to believe that we can through the power of Christ and if we lack the faith to ask him for it but that we can through the power of Christ become this what he wants us to be when to become what Christ's perfect character 
reproduced in his people. Folks, if I were to walk up to someone and I were to point to them and say, Christ's character has been perfectly reproduced in this person, would you immediately think, oh yeah, well they must, must of course, they must sin. They must have all these sins in their lives. You'd probably tell me I'm speaking blasphemy. You'd be like, you cannot compare someone to Jesus like that. Jesus was perfect in every way. He was sinless. Yes. And there's a special work that goes on in the last days, folks. A work that you get to be a part of if you so choose. This is God's remnant church. This message is for you. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. In other words, the second coming will happen if we overcome our sins by faith in him. She goes on, it is the privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel. Quickly the last great harvest would be ripened, and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. I want to leave you with one last quote. One last quote from the Spirit of Prophecy. Because I think this is so important. I know we're, we're over time. Usually I try to keep these under 30 minutes, but uh, probably a little bit over time here, and I apologize for that. But one more quote. It's from Early Writings, page 269 and 270. And it's a vision that Mrs. White had given her by the Holy Spirit talking about this very thing. So your beliefs, folks, your internal core beliefs, they will have consequences. So just be very careful what you choose to believe in the teachers who you choose to put your full confidence in. I would suggest that you accept nothing, not even from me. And it's not because I'm, I, I'm telling you I'm deceiving you, but because you should test and prove everything from everyone. I'm not, I'm not incapable of making mistakes. And I have before. She says this, I saw some with strong faith and agonizing cries pleading with God. Their countenances were pale and marked with deep anxiety, expressive of their internal struggle. Firmness and great earnestness was expressed in their countenances. Large drops of perspiration fell from their foreheads. Now and then their faces would light up with the marks of God's approbation. And again, the same solemn, earnest, anxious look would settle upon them. Evil angels crowded around, pressing darkness upon them to shut out Jesus from their view, that their eyes might be drawn to the darkness that surrounded them, and thus they may, may be led to distrust God and murmur against him. Their only safety was in keeping their eyes directed upward. Angels of God had charge over his people, and as the poisonous atmosphere of evil angels was pressed around these anxious ones, the heavenly angels were continually wafting their wings over them to scatter the thick darkness. As the praying ones continued their earnest cries, at times a ray of light from Jesus would come to them to encourage their hearts and light up their countenances. Some, I saw, did not participate in this work of agonizing and pleading. They seemed to be indifferent and careless. They were not resisting the darkness around them, and it shut them in like a thick cloud. The angels of God left these and went to the aid of the earnest praying ones. 
I saw angels of God hasten to the assistance of all who were struggling with all their power to resist the evil angels and trying to help themselves by calling upon God with perseverance. But his angels left those who made no effort to help themselves, and I lost sight of them. Folks, this is a very, very serious thing. And it's solemn, and we have to make sure that we are listening when the spirit of prophecy is trying to talk with us. Be very, very careful of scholarly ideals and explanations. Folks, I want to be in the camp of those who are struggling with all their power to resist the evil angels. I want to be a part of the group that is trying to help myself by calling upon God with perseverance. May our faith be strong enough to overcome the world and to be a part of this very special group of the 144,000. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.